Last week, we looked at a series of miracle stories from Jesus. At the end of those stories, we pick up here in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Jesus went out beside the lake again, and the whole crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he continued along, he saw Levi, Alphaeus's son, sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Levi got up and followed him. And Jesus sat down to eat at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. Indeed, many of them became his followers. When some of the legal experts among the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. One of the things that's so important when it comes to understanding the stories we find in the Bible is understanding the culture behind those stories. Jesus lived in a different kind of culture than we do. His culture is what we often call an honor and shame culture, where those two things, honor and shame, play a major role in the decisions we make. I've asked Howard, one of our brothers here at Highland, Howard and his wife Amy are actually new to Highland. They've been studying in Searcy, Arkansas the last few years, and they're now here working with our Chinese ministry. And I've asked Howard to come and help us understand this story because he's helped me to see that many Asian cultures are also honor and shame cultures. And I think that that is critical to understanding this story from the perspective of Jesus. And so Howard, would you help us to understand what's happening here? I'm Howard. I'm from China. I, uh, I grew up in the honor-shame culture. Um, so Chinese culture values honor but despise shame. So in the honor and shame culture, when you're doing things that bring shame for your, your families, uh, the consequence will probably be that they will not acknowledge your name. They will even not mention you in the public. Uh, I think the reason for people to think that way is because uh, the influence of the uh, traditional religion called Confucianism. So Confucius taught uh, people in different roles in a society should do different things. For example, um, uh, when a husband cheated his wife, it was regarded as highly shameful because the husband is doing things that he's not supposed to do, right? Uh, so shame uh, occurs when the external misbehavior was exposed. In other, in other words, people can see that you're, you're misbehaving or you're misdeed, you are doing the wrong things. So to understand shame, uh, you have to compare it to uh, the counterpart in the Western culture. Uh, guilt occurs uh, inwardly when someone was doing things that violates his consciousness. So shame is triggered by external um, behavior seen by others, but, but uh, guilt is triggered by inner struggle when you do things that violates your consciousness or inner moral law. So uh, when we come to Jesus' story, in that culture, tax collecting would be regarded as the most, one of the most shameful career for Jew- Jews because uh, helping uh, Roman government to oppress his own people, Jews, would be uh, terrible, would be uh, regarded as a shameful thing to do. So spending time with those tax collectors and sinners uh, would be regarded as shameful as well. For, so for Jesus, they were not 
only bring shame to his own reputation, but also bring shame to his entire family. But uh, we all know that Jesus knew what he was doing. I guess I will leave that part to Eric. Uh, Howard's awesome. That was really cool there at the end. Howard was, we had a lunch the other day, and he was talking to me about the honor and shame culture that he grew up in in China. And many Asian cultures are also what we would consider honor and shame cultures. And like he described, in an honor and shame culture, which is just like the culture that Jesus is growing up in, shame is devastating. Not only to you, but shame is something that you share with your family because of your actions. It's something that's shared with your larger community of which you're a part, and shame is to be avoided at all costs. Honor, on the other hand, is also something that spreads, that if you do something honorable, it brings honor to your family, it brings honor to your whole community, you'll be celebrated because honor is what you most want in an honor and shame culture. Howard was telling me about somebody he knows that didn't perform academically up to the the standards that his parents and grandparents had set for him. Didn't make it into one of the most prestigious universities in China like they had hoped for him. And when he failed at that, he said that it was like this man didn't exist anymore in his family. They wouldn't talk about him when they got together with friends to eat or get together. It was just like he didn't exist. They were so ashamed by that failure. Now, to understand that dynamic is to, is to enter into this story of Jesus at the right place. You know, somehow this story is good news for us, but I'll tell you what Jesus does right here was not good news for him. And that story I just told you about this family that basically disowns their son because he didn't perform, you get a sense of why just a few verses later, this is chapter 3 in Mark 1, chapter 3, verse 21, we read this. When his family heard what was happening, I'm talking about Jesus' family, they came to take control of him. They were saying, he is out of his mind. They're ashamed of him. They're ashamed of him. But shame in this kind of culture isn't only personal. It's not only a family thing. It's also communal. And so starting with this story here, actually starting with the story that precedes it, the miracle story of the paralyzed man who's healed, then we pick up with this story, and then there's three more stories that follow after these. And each one of these stories in that context is really questionable. And it seems like Jesus is just making the wrong decision, shameful decisions. So it's not just his family that's shamed. It's the whole Jewish community that he's a part of that is ashamed of what their representative, this young man, Jesus, is doing. And so because of that, we better understand these, this verse, just a few verses later, Mark 3, verse 6. The Pharisees, at the conclusion of these five scenes, got together with the supporters of Herod to plan how to destroy Jesus. They're ashamed because of what he's doing, and they've got to eliminate him. What's so shameful about this meal? He's just eating with some people. Levi, the tax collector, some sinners were told. What's so shameful about that? I uh, try to figure out how to help us understand this story. And again, I want, I want to kind of move cultures to give us a window from a culture, again, that's more similar to Jesus, but maybe we can understand this. You're familiar, I'm sure, with the caste system in India. You, you're familiar with this system. 
the caste system is a, is a cultural ranking system that ranks everybody in India. So at the top of the Indian caste system, you have the Brahmin. They are the, the most wealthy uh, most of the time, very affluent, well-to-do, have kind of the big jobs, often political jobs, other high jobs in that society. And then down at the bottom of the hierarchy in India, you have the Dalits, often called the untouchables, the untouchables. They do things like sewage and waste removal. The, the dirtiest jobs are reserved for the untouchables at the bottom of that caste system. I was listening to a, uh, a news piece the other day uh, about an Indian-American man <clears throat> reflecting on growing up as a, as a Brahmin, so at the top of the caste. And he said that his family had different sets of silverware in case somebody from a lower caste came to eat with them. They would give them the other silverware so that they wouldn't lower themselves on this invisible totem pole, this invisible hierarchy, but they would never eat with the untouchables, the Dalits at the lowest caste system. Well, in Jesus' world, which is also an honor and shame culture like that one, you have a same kind of caste system playing out. And at the bottom of the caste system in Jesus' world are the people we call the Amha'adits, which means literally the people of the land. And so the people of the land would include things you would expect like shepherds and farmers, the poor, the peasants, uh, but it would also include people who we would, we would call criminal, robbers and bandits, like the guys who come across the man that eventually the Good Samaritan rescues. Okay, folks like that would be also in the Am Ha'aretz category. And then occupying this weird space between the people of the land, the workers, the farmers, the sewage collectors, and the criminals and the bandits, you've got tax collectors right in the middle, which were these people who were known for robbing from the Jews, their people. And so all of those folks in this bottom caste system are there at the bottom, not just because of what they do, but because what they do makes it impossible for them to keep Jewish law perfectly. So if you're a shepherd, for instance, you can't just leave your sheep on the Sabbath, you gotta still take care of them, which means you're inevitably going to violate Jewish law, which makes you what? A sinner, a sinner. And everybody knows. They're sinners. So here's what I'm trying to, trying to help us to see at this meal, that it's not just sin that has a place at this table that Jesus is sitting at, but there's a cloud of shame hovering all around it. Am Haaretz is still a term that's used in Jewish culture today. In fact, I was, I was Googling some about Am Haaretz and I came across advice columns in Jewish newspapers about how to interact or not interact with Am Haaretz in your daily life. This is in 2020, okay? And uh, I read, this is, this is old Jewish literature, but this is still true in many Jewish cultures today. He that undertakes to be trustworthy may not be the guest of an Am Haaretz. So that's Jesus here, a guest of Levi and these other sinners, no longer trustworthy, shameful. So here at this dinner table, you've got a meal where sin is obvious. Everybody at this table knows that everybody else at this table is a sinner. 
And we also see that the Pharisees and others are watching this meal take place. You can just imagine they're peeking through the windows as Jesus as he eats with all these people. And they're looking around that table and they know good and well that everybody at this table is a sinner. So they see at this table, it is just overrun with sin. That's all they see at this table. And because of that, this is a shameful meal. In Western culture, which like Howard pointed out, is not an honor and shame culture, what we deal with in Western culture is guilt. So shame is external. It's placed on you by the community of which you're a part. Guilt is internal. It arises out of a crisis of your conscience. It's why therapy and counseling are really big in the Western world, but not in the Eastern world. Because a therapist can't get your family to stop shaming you, but it can help you to deal with what's going on inside of you. Does that make sense? But here Jesus is doing something that a minister can't do, that a therapist can't do. Okay. At this meal where sin is on the table and where shame is hovering about the room, the sin on the table and the shame in the room are being transferred from the people at the table who, to who? To Jesus. Their sin and their shame is coming on to him. Notice the Pharisees and others say, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? It's no longer about those people and their sin and shame. Who's it about? It's about Jesus. Suddenly all that shame is on him. You remember English class in high school? You remember that term you learned foreshadowing? This is that. All the community's sin and shame coming on to him. Uh, But there's another way to understand this story. Let's dig a little bit deeper in this story. Another way to think about this story is to think about what happens at a meal. What happens when we eat together? And I I think meals are really powerful. In fact, I'm pretty convinced that the single best indicator of whether you will end up at Highland and whether you will make this church your faith family is if at some point you have a meal with someone here. If somebody, when it's not a pandemic, invite you to the little Mexican food place down the street after church, or they have you over to their house for a small group and you have pizza and hot wings or something like that. Okay. I think that's the best indicator of whether you will stick here because meals bind people together. It's why our Chinese ministry, when there's not a pandemic, has a meal every Sunday together because meals bind us together. In uh, college, I was on a scholarship, and as part of this scholarship, I had to do 15 hours of community service every semester. And I wish I could phrase that last sentence differently. As part of my college experience, I got the opportunity to serve my community. But um, I was not always that virtuous. And usually it was the end of the semester, I had to get 15 hours, I had to do it quick. And so if you were in a bind in Abilene and you needed quick service hours, the best way to do it was this ministry called Room at the Inn. And Room at the Inn was a ministry that was a a collaboration of five churches in town where every morning of the week, they fed the homeless community of Abilene. And so the homeless community would come before the sun came up, they'd be fed a hot breakfast and they'd be sent out with a packed lunch for the rest of the day, every day, seven days a week in Abilene. So if you needed service hours, you could knock them out pretty fast. 
And it was really great because you would go and you, you know, here you are, you're this college student, you're doing really well, you're, you're making good grades, your parents are helping pay your bills, you kind of got it all together, right? And you go and you serve these people who do not have it all together. If you think about that invisible totem pole or hierarchy, you know, you're kind of up here at the top, you're a college kid, you're doing awesome, and down here at the bottom, you've got the homeless, and it's really safe and comfortable because you get to serve them, these people who need help, and you serve them from across this booth, and there's this safe distance between you, and you smile, and you slop that oatmeal onto their plate, and you feel good about yourself while you're doing it because they're so far away, and I'll never forget the first time I went. All those folks have come through the line, and I'm getting kind of hungry. And a couple people who are serving with me are getting kind of hungry. And the director of room at the end, he says, well, I reckon y'all can eat now. And we fill our plates and we say, um, is there a table back here in the kitchen? He's like, no, there's not. And we, so we say, um, so where do we eat? And he looks out at the crowd and he says, well, I guess you're going to have to eat out there. Turns out he did that every morning. And uh, we would go out there and we would take our seats among these folks. And I'll never forget the first time I sat down beside one of these guys and he kind of smelled what I'm talking about. Uh, had teeth falling out. And he began to tell me his story as I sat down next to him and I realized as he was talking that this could be me. I mean, I've taken wrong turns in my life and it just happens that I haven't taken the same wrong turns he did that landed him in this place, but I am not so distant from him. And why is that happening at this meal? It's because think about what happens when we eat together. When you sit down and eat a meal with somebody, you literally are moved to their level. Think about it. That's why we don't stand when we eat together. We sit down at a table together because we're at the same level level when we do that. And I always found when I would sit with those folks, by the end of it, I, I wouldn't want it to end. I wanted to stay there. There was something powerful about letting go of my place there at the top and realizing I am not so different from this guy. There's something powerful about that. Okay, that's the power that a meal can have. So now let me think, let's think together about this. Do you think that that's why a meal is instituted by Jesus as one of the central things that we do together as the people of God. Every week, we take a meal together. And it's a meal in which we remember that Jesus died for what? My sin. And that in doing that, he takes away my shame. That's what we remember in this meal. We take this bread that reminds us of his body that was broken for us. We take this cup of juice that reminds us that his blood was shed for us. Every week when we take that meal, we are reminded of what Jesus has done to take my sin and my shame on himself. On himself. And you'll notice if you read through the New Testament that early Christians tried to position themselves at that table because it is so uncomfortable to fall from your high place and realize that you're on the same level as everybody else at this table. But Jesus says, we're not going to do that. We're going to come to this table where we are all equal. 
In fact, let me show you this in verse 15 of chapter two. We find the word disciples. So here at this meal of Jesus, Levi, tax collectors, and sinners, which is really a synonym, you really, really, it's sinners and sinners. At this meal, you've got Jesus, you've got sinners and sinners, and then you've got disciples. And this is actually the first time in Mark, which is the earliest gospel that was written. This is the first time in Mark that the word disciples is used. Think about that for a second. The origin of the term disciples or followers of Jesus, what what you and I are, the origin of the term disciples is a meal full of sinners where the sin of those present is being taken, the shame of those present is being taken on the one who sits at the head of the table rightly, Jesus Christ the one who has no sin. That's the origin of the term disciple. Part of what being a disciple means is coming to a table every week where I declare and confess that I too have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the power of that is that when we take this meal, confessing the areas of our life that are broken and need help, that as we do that, The shame that we think is going to follow us. We think this community is just going to overwhelm us with shame as we expose and confess our sin. And what we actually find here is that nobody's different at this table. We all come to this table as sinners. And so there is no shame to be heaped on us. And if there is any, it's all going to who? Christ. You know, he's pulling it away from us as he sits at this table with us, which is what we believe happens every single week. Think about that. The origin of the term disciple is a meal where sin is unhidden. Shame does not have a seat at the table and everybody present needs the healing work of the doctor. You know, what brings us together is not our perfection, is not our accomplishments, is not our achievements. It is our common need. Jesus says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. Are you ready to take that meal together? Like I said, we're going to do it at the end. And normally, because we live in the Western culture, we privatize this meal. It becomes a private thing between Jesus and me. It becomes a thing where I privately declare to Jesus, I feel guilty about this thing I did, Jesus. I need you to resolve that guilt in my heart. I need you to take it away. And Jesus will do that. But because we understand this this scene more broadly now, we recognize that part of what it means to come to this table is to share my brokenness with others. And then in doing so, I actually free those around me to do the same. And when we declare, when we confess our sin, we make public the sickness that we need the doctor to heal. You know, coming to this meal and keeping your sins private would be like going to the doctor and him saying what's wrong and you'd be like, eh, nothing really. He's like, why are you here? Oh, it's no big deal. Okay, what's he gonna do? He's just gonna send you home. Okay, part of coming to this meal is confessing our sin and in doing so believing that any shame associated with it is being taken upon Jesus.